Chapter Thirteen of From the Earth to the Moon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. From the Earth to the Moon by Jules Verne. Chapter Thirteen. Stones Hill. When the decision was arrived at by the Gun Club, to the disparagement of Texas, every one in America where reading is a universal acquirement, set to work to study the geography of Florida. Never before had there been such a sale for works like Bertram's Travels in Florida, Roman's Natural History of East and West Florida, William's Territory of Florida, and Cleland on the Cultivation of the Sugar-Cane in Florida. It became necessary to issue fresh editions of these works. Barbicane had something better to do than to read. He desired to see things with his own eyes, and to mark the exact position of the proposed gun. So, without a moment's loss of time, he placed at the disposal of the Cambridge Observatory the funds necessary for the construction of a telescope, and entered into negotiations with the house of Bradwell and Company, of Albany, for the construction of an aluminum projectile of the required size. He then quitted Baltimore, accompanied by J. T. Maston, Major Elphinstone, and the manager of the Cold Spring factory. On the following day, the four fellow travellers arrived at New Orleans. There they immediately embarked on board the Tampico, a dispatch boat belonging to the Federal Navy, which the government had placed at their disposal, and, getting up steam, the banks of Louisiana speedily disappeared from sight. The passage was long. Two days after starting, the Tampico, having made four hundred and eighty miles, came in sight of the coast of Florida. On a nearer approach, Barbicane found himself in view of a low, flat country of somewhat barren aspect. After coasting along a series of creeks abounding in lobsters and oysters, the Tampico entered the bay of Espiritu Santo, where she finally anchored in a small natural harbour, formed by the embouchure of the river Hillsborough, at 7 p.m. on the 22nd of October. Our four passengers disembarked at once. "'Gentlemen,' said Barbicane, "'we have no time to lose. Tomorrow we must obtain horses, and proceed to reconnoitre the country.' Barbicane had scarcely set his foot on shore when three thousand of the inhabitants of Tampa Town came forth to meet him, an honour due to the President, who had signalised their country by his choice. Declining, however, every kind of ovation, Barbicane ensconced himself in a room of the Franklin Hotel. On the morrow, some of the small horses of the Spanish breed, full of vigour and of fire, stood snorting under his windows, but instead of four steeds, here were fifty, together with their riders. Barbicane descended with his three fellow-travellers, and much astonished were they, all to find themselves in the midst of such a cavalcade. He remarked that every horseman carried a carbine slug across his shoulder, and pistols in his holsters. On expressing his surprise at these preparations, he was speedily enlightened by a young Floridian, who quietly said, "'Sir, there are Seminoles there.' "'What do you mean by Seminoles? "'Savages who scour the prairies. "'We thought it best, therefore, to escort you on your road.' "'Pooh!' cried J.T. Maston, mounting his steed. "'All right,' said the Floridian. 
"'But it is true enough, nevertheless.' "'Gentlemen,' answered Barbicane, "'I thank you for your kind attention, but it is time to be off.' It was five a.m. when Barbicane and his party, quitting Tampa Town, made their way along the coast in the direction of Alifia Creek. This little river falls into Hillsborough Bay, twelve miles above Tampa Town. Barbicane and his escort coasted along its right bank to the eastward. Soon the waves of the bay disappeared behind a bend of rising ground, and the Floridian Champagne alone offered itself to view. Florida, discovered on Palm Sunday in 1512 by Juan Ponce de Leon, was originally named Pasca, Florida. It little deserved that designation, with its dry and parched coasts, but after some few miles of tract the nature of the soil gradually changes, and the country shows itself worthy of the name. Cultivated plains soon appear, where are united all the productions of the northern and tropical floras, terminating in prairies abounding with pineapples and yams, tobacco, rice, cotton plants, and sugar canes, which extend beyond reach of sight, flinging their riches broadcast with careless prodigality. Barbicane appeared highly pleased on observing the progressive elevation of the land, and in answer to a question of J. T. Maston replied, "'My worthy friend, we cannot do better than sink our Columbiad into these high grounds.' "'To get nearer the moon, perhaps,' said the secretary of the gun-club. "'Not exactly,' replied Barbicane, smiling. "'Do you not see that among these elevated plateaus we shall have a much easier work of it? No struggles with the water-springs, which will save us long expensive tubings, and we shall be working in daylight instead of down a deep and narrow well. Our business, then, is to open our trenches upon the ground some hundreds of yards above the level of the sea. You are right, sir, struck in Murchison, the engineer. And if I mistake not, we shall ere long find a suitable spot for our purpose. I wish we were at the first stroke of the pickaxe, said the President. And I wish we were at the last, cried J. T. Maston. About ten a.m. the little band had crossed a dozen miles. To fertile plains succeeded a region of forests. Their perfumes of the most varied kinds mingled together in tropical profusion. These almost impenetrable forests were composed of pomegranates, orange-trees, citrons, figs, olives, apricots, bananas, huge vines whose blossoms and fruits rivaled each other in colour and perfume. Beneath the odorous shade of these magnificent trees fluttered and warbled a little world of brilliantly plumaged birds. J. T. Maston and the Major could not repress their admiration on finding themselves in the presence of the glorious beauties of this wealth of nature. President Barbicane, however, less sensitive to these wonders, was in haste to press forward. The very luxuriance of the country was displeasing to him. They hastened onward, therefore, and were compelled to ford several rivers, not without danger, for they were infested with huge alligators from fifteen to eighteen feet long. Maston courageously menaced them with his steel hook, but he only succeeded in frightening some pelicans and teal while tall flamingos stared stupidly at the party. At length these denizens of the swamps disappeared in their turn. Smaller trees became thinly scattered among less dense thickets. 
a few isolated groups detached in the midst of endless plains over which ranged herds of startled deer. "'At last!' cried Barbicane, rising in his stirrups. "'Here we are at the region of pines.' "'Yes, and of savages, too,' replied the Major. In fact, some Seminoles had just come in sight upon the horizon. They rode violently backward and forward on their fleet horses, brandishing their spears, or discharging their guns with a dull report. These hostile demonstrations, however, had no effect upon Barbicane and his companions. They were then occupying the centre of a rocky plain, which the sun scorched with its parching rays. This was formed by a considerable elevation of the soil, which seemed to offer to the members of the gun-club all the conditions requisite for the construction of their columbiad. "'Halt!' said Barbicane, reining up. "'Has this place any local appellation?' "'It is called Stones Hill,' replied one of the Floridians. Barbicane, without saying a word, dismounted, seizing his instruments, and began to note his position with extreme exactness. The little band, drawn up in the rear, watched his proceedings in profound silence. At this moment the sun passed the meridian. Barbicane, after a few moments, rapidly wrote down the result of his observations, and said, "'This spot is well situated, eighteen hundred feet above the level of the sea, in twenty-seven degrees seven minutes north latitude, and five degrees seven minutes west longitude.' of the meridian of Washington. It appears to me, by its rocky and barren character, to offer all the conditions requisite for our experiment. On that plain will be raised our magazines, workshops, furnaces, and workmen's huts, and here, from this very spot, said he, stamping his foot on the summit of Stones Hill, hence shall our projectile take its flight into the regions of the solar world. End of chapter 13